So you can find the first passage, uh, Isaiah 53, verse <coughs> 1 to 6, on page uh, 735 in the Blue Bible. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of, a, out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we... N- nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then the second reading is from First uh, Peter chapter 2 verse 13 to chapter 3, verse 7. And you can find that in the Blue Bibles on page 1,221. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence this ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, then it is this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that in any of them do not believe the word. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, 
such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy woman, woman of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I don't know what I was thinking, but that is such a big passage and there's so much to go in it that I'm, I'm not going to uh, go through all of it this week. We'll get to all of it, but I'm not going to go through all of it this week. Um, and so <laughs> the outline in um, page on page six, which is uh, still helpful um, there, under point four it says living at, with real freedom. I'm at, um, you can scrub scrub those four points out because I'm really just going to be thinking about authority and slavery this week and those other big issues that I'm sure you've got lots of questions about. Um, I'm going to leave hanging there with you for a while. Community groups are going to look at them and then we'll, we'll get back to them in um, due course because I really want to spend time reflecting on something that maybe we don't spend a lot of time on. Um, but what we'll do this week is the principles that we set up help us think through the beginning bit of chapter three. Um, so that's a little precursor just to help you on your way. The other thing to say about the outline is the four points at the end, um, have a look at them and see how they play out throughout the talk. They're kind of the things that we, we, we take away through the passage. We see them play out. And, um, and so they'll be, they'll be coming out as we go all the way through. Uh, so that may be helpful for you. Um, let's, let's get into it. And I want to start off by pointing out what today is. On the 11th hour, on the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918, it was all quiet on the Western Front. The war that was supposed to end all wars had ceased. The armistice armistice was signed. Today's a day where the world remembers the loss a hundred years on. And how through the years, uh, the life that was lost in the, buti- uh, the brutal futility of war has had an effect. And how it was done for the goal of freedom. War has a significant rippling effect throughout the centuries. And many of us, in all sorts of manner of different ways, families lost uh, in all sorts of wars the baggage that we may have if we have been in conflict, the rippling effect throughout the centuries affects us all. And it's good for us to reflect on that because as uh, many of you know, we have uh, many brothers and sisters who come to Grove and who have come and gone who are in the military, who seek to uh, serve us and our nation in that way. And it's good for us to pause and reflect and acknowledge um, them as well. So 
to kick off today, we'll pause for a moment, um, as it happens at 11 o'clock, but we're not going to do it at 11 o'clock, because we'll be right into the depths of God's word. And I'll, and I'll pray um, a defence prayer um, that they, is often used in remembrance services. Um, and ask God then to turn our eyes towards him and the ultimate freedom we have in him. You see, in many ways, Remembrance Day is about remembering what freedom took. And freedom is kind of a theme of God's word today. Now, let me pray. And then later when we pray as well, Damien will lead us in prayers um, um, and reflecting on um, uh, war with another uh, remembrance prayer as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Almighty God, we remember with thanksgiving those who have made the supreme sacrifice for us in times of war. We pray that their offering of their lives may not have been in vain. May your grace enable us this day to dedicate ourselves towards the cause of justice, freedom and peace, to live good lives and give us the wisdom and strength to build a better world and as your people, to focus on Christ. Amen. Because today is actually about living a good life as a Christian. And our series in 1 Peter is about this challenge we have, that we live for God, our, our home is not this nation, it is not more important in our real home, it comes in a very, very long second place. And Peter is trying to help us understand what living in two worlds is like when, when we actually have a challenge before us of those who live very differently and we wanting to live for God. In many ways, the reason that there is war is because there, are two, there is a world other than those in Christ who is rejecting God's way and it causes conflict. And today is a day where we pause and remember that conflict, that as his people, we get to pause and contemplate his word and how there is real ultimate freedom in him. So let's do that as we look at chapter 2. See there, um, if you've got that open up in front of you, um, go to chapter 2 verse 11 because it's the third time. It kind of point the reason we say it's between the two worlds is because Peter says many times, three times, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. He's saying to them, you you don't belong to this world, you belong to God's, God's way and so you are a foreigner, you're an exile. And they are actually scattered. He says to them in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We've seen this throughout and we're seeing again today that living differently to the other world's way is really important. 
And living as a foreigner to the world around us means abstaining. It means going without. The other world is still fighting for us to live its way. It's inside of us. There is a battle in the two worlds. See how uh, verse 11 ends, which wage war against your soul. See, on a day where we remember the, the wars uh, that waged evil, that try to destroy freedom, that happens out there in those wars... We see that for God's people, there's an inner battle. There is an inner struggle that's not out there. It's very helpful for us to reflect on this eternal struggle. Paul, the apostle in, in Romans 7, before the chapter we looked at a few weeks ago in chapter 8, he kind of expresses his conflict with saying, I'm doing the things I don't want to do because I want to follow God, but I do them. And he gets all, all caught up in that inner struggle. And any of you who love Jesus, I don't think I need to convince you of that inner struggle, do I? The turmoil we have? Because we're in between the two worlds and that sinful desire is a struggle. But we are encouraged to live good lives. Verse 12. See how it starts? Live good lives. I wonder what your answer is to a good life. What would it look like if you could paint a good life for yourself right now? We'd probably all have all sorts of different manner of things. What is it? What is a good life? Well, whatever you come up with, Peter wants you to know that your good life is for a purpose. Look at verse 12 in its entirety. Live such good lives amongst the pagans, that is those who don't follow God, those who reject the Lord Jesus, live a good, such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, you live a good life because it has a mission. It has a purpose. Your good life is for achieving something. How far is the Christian good life from what we might think the good life is. It's not a pros prosperous life. It's certainly not the prosperity gospel way. It's not a healthy life. The good life is not a healthy life. It's not even a successful life. In this context here, living such good lives, so you can see your, uh, so others who don't love the Lord Jesus, see your good deeds and then realize that's what God's people are like, I need to give a consideration to that God before I reject him. With the outcome of they glorify God with us. Your life is part of your mission. 
Have any of you, show me with nods, um, heard of a lady called Ruby Bridges? No one's heard of Ruby Bridges? A couple, a couple people maybe? Well, what you probably, many of you know about is years ago in America, schools in the 50s and 60s, you couldn't just go to any school. If you were white and you were black, you went to different schools. There was segregation. That's not that long ago. But the government decided at the time that segregation would stop and there needed to be integration. And this little primary school girl, Ruby Bridges, was one of the first to go. What happened to her was extraordinary. It's such an indictment on the human nature. She was vilified, threatened. She needed agents to walk her into class because people were threatening her and screaming out. Have a look at a reenactment of that in the movie of her life, just on the screen. She had to go to a class of one. Every day she goes to school, everyone was chanting to her, we don't want you here, we don't want you to integrate. She got death threats. She was told she was going to be poisoned. This little primary school girl, can you imagine? She was brought up to love the Lord Jesus. But what happened one day, she turned around And she started, people thought, talking to those chanting hatred at her. And she was asked about what she was doing. Did you get angry with them? Did you tell them to just leave you alone? No, I didn't tell them anything. I didn't talk to them. But Ruby, I was there. I saw your lips moving. I wasn't talking to them. I was praying for them. Praying for them? Yes, I pray for them every day in the car. But I forgot that day. Oh. What prayer did you say? Please, God, forgive these people because even if they say those mean things, they don't know what they're doing. So you can forgive them. Just like you did those folks a long time ago when they said terrible things about you. A little girl had absolute clarity on how you live the Christian life under extraordinary suffering. That's what she did, that she was brought up to pray for her enemies and she did it every day. And there was one day where she forgot And so she did it as they were hurling insults at her. And you heard the word she prayed. Living such good lives amongst the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us.
Why? Your good deeds challenge others to consider God and how they see him. Good lives for mission purposes because Jesus is coming back on the day he visits us. It's helpful for us to think about my rights and my freedoms as a Christian and how much I'm in demand of those and how much I want them and how often I think about my enemies and how much I think about those and pray for them who do good deeds instead of just focusing on the Christian justice. We live good lives for the sake of others. Peter is really challenging us to live with real freedom. He wants us to live with absolute real freedom. He wants us to see that no matter the situation we're in, we live for God. You know, we live as free people, not just for the sake of doing what we want. First, uh, uh, let me just jump to verse 16, 17 before we go back to 13. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honour the emperor. Freedom for doing good is not freedom for doing whatever you want. That's the other world's way. That we can, we are so love free. We love democracy and it's a good reason because the best, probably the best system, right? And our Westminster system is pretty good. Um, and we have freedom. But freedom isn't so you can just do whatever you want and do evil or even redefine what you do as good so you can do it and live out freedom. A better view of freedom is to see freedom is well, the beautiful paradox in those verses. Live as free people, live as God's slaves. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing when we understand the clarity of what's, what Peter's pointing out there. He's saying, you have been freed in Christ to live for him. And so it's not that you're now in some kind of slavery as we think slavery is enslaved to others and, and, and have no rights. It's you want to serve him with everything you have because you're free to do that now. You couldn't do it before because you were a slave to sin, but you've been freed from that. So now you can actually do what God wants. You can be a slave to God. That is, you can serve the Lord of all. Do what he wants. Live for him. Live with each other as his people. That's why Jesus said in John's gospel, you're a slave um, to sin. Your father is the devil um, when he was talking to the leaders. But when you're free from that, you're free to be a slave to God. That is what real freedom is, to do good in what God uh, has made us for. And so that transforms how we think about authority. 
Living good lives, abstaining from evil desires, what would we naturally think about? Well, we naturally maybe think about immorality and and, um, uh, and sex. We think about money and and, and, uh, all those kind of things. But do we give authority a place in abstaining from our evil desires? Well, that's what he talks about. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Good lives means submitting to authorities. But you don't get to go in your head, oh yeah, but only the ones that are like and the good ones, not the evil despots. It's interesting, you can't get around that little word, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. See, some context helps us understand the gravity of this life decision. We find that hard. We're Australians. We like to shoot down everyone. You know, tall poppy syndrome is a thing. And particularly our politicians, we call them, you know, we call them by their first name. We don't want to give respect to people too much because that might lift them up too much. We have that problem as a, as a nation. Um, and yet we live in a democracy that has checks and balances, that is really good and healthy. The Roman Empire was a little different. When Peter said these things, the Roman Empire ruled. Often the emperors thought, hey, I'm no emperor, I'm God. The rule was swift and strong. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. And you do this because, in in, in my words, God wants you to do this so that you silence the idiots. When people see that, as Jesus did, when they try to trick him by saying, oh, you're saying follow me, but what about Caesar? And we're supposed to follow him. And he says, well, give Caesar what's Caesar's and give God what's God's. He took the approach that we need to see. And we don't just get to pick and choose the authorities we like. God's sovereign over everything and even the ones that are acting in despicable ways, we need to engage with them rightly and properly. And we're facing challenges as a society. I might just have a drink of water. We are facing challenges. What's going to happen with where the governments go in the coming years in Australia? What are we going to be allowed to do and not to do? What kind of freedoms are we going to have that we've always just assumed we'd have in this country? Are we going to continue to have them? We need to wrestle wisely with the principles that God has given us. And that principle is helpfully understood further when we think about slavery back then. He goes on to say in verse 18, after this whole being uh, living um, as God's slaves, he says in verse 18, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Just like authorities, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust uh, unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. That suffering that Ruby faced could not have been any more unjust and despicable. It was horrendous. Is an example of many, many people who face such despicable persecution. 
Back then, slavery was not, though, it's helpful for us just to remember, is not just the slavery that we think of with the slave trade and, and whole races being um, brought into slavery to make rich people richer, which is what uh, uh, we are very familiar with um, in, in, our, in our day. And it's what the Christ, uh, Christians uh, like William Wilberforce sought to took, take down. This slavery, actually, they had rights. They even could have a status in the household. They didn't belong to themselves. There was that significance. But they could sometimes buy out their slavery. There's a, there's a, a little book in the Bible, um, Philemon, about it. It's very interesting. It's worth reading. I don't have time to go in today. You couldn't just do whatever you want, but you had freedom, you had rights. And when you had a, a, good, a good master, you were treated with great respect and honour. Often you were responsible for the household. You could, you could even be fairly um, well-to-do. But if you had a bad master, you could be beaten. It wasn't a great situation all the time. But the principle is, as we've seen before, when there's a submission, that is to say, doing what you're res- responsible uh, to following and doing is the Christian principle that we follow. If you can be free, you seek to be free. But if you can't, live a good life. And it's not impressive if you do evil and suffer and then think, well, I've been treated evil. And often... The Christian, the Christian history that we can see are at times when we have been persecuted and the response has been not as great as it should be. Instead, we want to be commendable before God. How do we make sense of this? Well, it's because we get to the most important part of this whole bit before we wrap up. The most important part of this whole section, if you, if you haven't been with me, get back on me here. This is the bit where we see Jesus. This is the bit where we see Jesus with clarity. What we read in Isaiah 53 jumps out to us and we see it from two perspectives. You and I as followers of Jesus are saved by it. If you're wondering how you are saved, this is it. But it doesn't stop there. It's then how we live. It shapes our decisions. Let's see it. You see, why do the slaves live that way? Why do we all take on this principle? Because we follow the example of Jesus. Because it says in verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered. Not because Christ lived a prosperous life and blessings are coming. Because Christ suffered. And that's the example of this life, this side of heaven you follow. And so we reflect on his sufferings. He committed no sin and deceit, and no deceit, no deceit was found in his mouth. They hurled insults at him. He didn't retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he endured, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The principle for doing good, Jesus, who was perfect. He committed no sin. They mocked him. They abused him. He didn't retaliate. 
he suffered to death on a cross, he gave no threats. Instead, he bore his sins. His sins. I've said a few heresies today. I hope you picked up on it. Instead, he bore our sins. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Do you understand how significant that is? How profound it is that God sent Jesus, who was perfect, to take on board your sin so that you are saved. He took on the sins of those hurling insults at him. You who have hurled insults at him in all sorts of manner of ways so that the insulters become the praisers. Salvation comes by his example. And if you're wondering whether you're a follower of Jesus, it's you acknowledging that you have gone astray as we see in these verses. We've all actually gone astray. And that Jesus has actually paid that price for you. And you trust in that. You're a follower of him. That's what I encourage you to do. It's why the next two weeks we are going to focus on God's grace. His amazing grace for us is what we are going to do over the next two weeks. Because this we do not deserve. And he has given it to us. And we want the people we know, the people around us, anyone to take hold of it because it is amazingly good and it's the only hope we have but brothers and sisters we don't leave it there his salvation always shapes our daily thinking about how we live good lives you will never have more of a right to retaliate than jesus had have you considered that? And yet Jesus on the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they do. His example shows us that we live for mission because our example that we've been given is the mission. Him coming to save us. What are we wanting to achieve? Two options for you to decide. The other world living as Christians or the other world becoming Christians. In many ways, the first, the, the first option is pointless. What do you want to say? You've got to live as God tells us to, but don't worry about whether you've actually come to see Jesus as Lord. I mean, Jesus' way is better and it's better for society, Yes. But what we want is for others to go from the other world into following the Lord Jesus. And suffering as a Christian is the way we see people come to love him. Because that's what Jesus did. Suffering as a Christian needs an overhaul in our minds because it certainly has in the past and needs to continue for me. It's not that suffering has got to stop so I can have a good life. In whatever suffering comes before me, I live a good life. We are so blessed 
not in all manner of things to think about as the most important. And God does give us many blessings. We are blessed because we have life with Jesus. And so you can see those four points that play out, played out throughout the talk. The cross and ethics, the way we live, are always intertwined. If you try and make a decision about how to live as a Christian and you don't consider the cross, you're not going to make it um, clear. Making decisions to win over people of the world is how we think. Deeds play a part in mission. They're not mission. One of the big mistakes we can make is to think, I'll just do good. That's my mission is when people see that Jesus is Lord and they trust in him. And if you just do good and stop it there, how are they going to actually see grace and follow him? But we've seen how Peter shows us your life plays such a significant part in it. And we live with freedom. Not to do whatever we want. We live with freedom to do good for others and to glorify God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you will help us all to live good lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.